to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, March 2nd, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 899, and coming up on today's show, our guest is private prison expert Patrick Nightingale from Law Enforcement Action Partnership. In our cannabis focus today, we'll be taking a look at Attorney General Jeff Sessions and how he may have committed perjury during his confirmation hearings on a question from Senator Al Franken. In our drug war data mining, we'll take a look at evolving marijuana policies all around the world. And in the radical rant, we take a look at comments from MPP's head, Rob Campia, who's the latest ostrich to fluff industry donors telling them not to worry about the Trump administration cracking down on marijuana. And an hour or two, we go in-depth on the Jeff Sessions, Donald Trump, and Russia news. But first, let's get to the cannabis headline news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Thursday, March 2nd, 2017. Attorney General Jeff Sessions indicated in a press conference this afternoon that he will recuse himself in any investigation over Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential elections just hours after top Republicans said he should do just that. House Oversight and Government Reform Committee Chairman Jason Chaffetz, a Republican of Utah, tweeted early Thursday that, quote, A.G. Sessions should clarify his testimony and recuse himself. Later, Senator Rob Portman, Republican of Ohio, said in a statement, quote, Jeff Sessions is a former colleague of mine and a friend, but I think it would be best for him and for the country to recuse himself from the DOJ Russia probe, end quote. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, also initially said during an appearance on MSNBC's Morning Joe that Sessions should bow out. The comments from prominent Republicans follow revelations that Sessions met with the Russian ambassador during election season. Under oath in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee for his confirmation hearing in January, Sessions had said that he had not met with any Russian officials. Senators from eight states that have legalized the recreational or medical use of marijuana are asking Attorney General Jeff Sessions to uphold the Department of Justice's existing enforcement policy toward states with voter-approved marijuana laws. Massachusetts Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren and Edward Markey were among those who signed the Thursday letter. Massachusetts voters backed the recreational use of pot last year. The senators point to comments by White House spokesman Sean Spicer suggesting stepped-up enforcement of federal laws against recreational marijuana. Signatories also include Senators Michael Bennett of Colorado, Brian Schatz of Hawaii, Catherine Cortez Mastro of Nevada, Cory Booker of New Jersey, Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell of Washington, and the lone Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. 
Colorado is moving ahead with its first-in-the-nation attempt to allow marijuana clubs, but the measure that passed a Republican State Senate committee Wednesday evening doesn't go as far as some marijuana activists hoped. The bill would allow on-site marijuana consumption at private clubs in willing jurisdictions, and those clubs may allow indoor pot smoking despite health concerns about indoor smoking. But the bill is far from allowing a statewide network of pot clubs. For one, it would allow any jurisdiction to ban them, same as they currently prohibit retail pot sales. Also, the bill does not permit pot clubs to serve alcohol or food. More than 80% of Danes are in favor of legalizing the medical use of cannabis, a new survey has found, increasing the chance that a pilot scheme planned for next year will lead to an end to prohibition. The survey by Analyze Denmark found that only 5% of people in Denmark opposed medical cannabis, with the remainder saying they did not have an opinion. Denmark plans from January 1st next year to launch a four-year trial, which will allow a defined patient group to be treated with medical cannabis after an agreement was reached in the Danish Parliament last November. The Danish Medical Authority has put forward multiple sclerosis, chronic pain, spinal cord injuries, and chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting as eligible ailments. Peruvian President Pablo Pedro Pablo Kaczynski has proposed legalizing medical marijuana in the latest pivot away from decades-old restrictions on drug use in Latin America. It is unclear if the right-wing opposition-controlled Congress will pass Kaczynski's proposed legislation, which would allow marijuana to be imported and sold in Peru for medical reasons and could permit domestic production after two years. An Ipsos poll showed 65% of Peruvians favor legalizing medical marijuana and another 13% back legalizing the drug for recreational use. If the bill is passed... Peru would follow neighboring Chile and Colombia in legalizing the medical use of marijuana. Mexico's Senate has approved a bill to permit the use of medical marijuana, while Uruguay has fully legalized cannabis from seed to smoke. A 119-year-old international organization that develops voluntary standards for items ranging from children's toys to commercial spaceflight could soon do the same for cannabis operations. ASTM International on Tuesday launched a volunteer committee on cannabis to discuss and develop standards in areas such as personnel training, cultivation, security, officials, and committee members told the cannabis. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Thursday, March 2nd, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. They said half a hit of E would be fun. They said half a hit of E would be fun. They lied. Find out the truth about drugs. Drugfreeworld.org This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com The 
Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I drank beer heavily and tried drugs enthusiastically. All right, maybe you're high, too. Good for you. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Stay in the Cannabis Focus. We are taking a look at the bombshell revelations late last night and early this morning that Attorney General Jeff Sessions may have perjured himself in his testimony to the Senate during his confirmation hearings for the position of Attorney General. We'll go into great detail about the connections between Donald Trump and Russia and his surrogates, uh, speaking to various Russians during the campaign. We'll cover that all in hour two. We'll go really in depth about it. But for this segment, I just want to stick to the idea that the attorney general who said good people don't smoke marijuana is on the hot seat right now and in danger of losing his job. Here is the audio in question. This is uh, Jeff Sessions testifying uh, to the Senate uh, on his confirmation as attorney general uh, last month and uh, a question from Senator Al Franken from Minnesota. And if there is any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what will you do? Senator Franken, I'm not aware of um, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians, um, and I'm unable to comment on it. So he says that he is aware of nobody in the campaign. He's not aware of anybody, any surrogates, and noting that he is himself a surrogate for the Trump campaign. Senator Sessions, Senator at the time, Sessions, said he had no contact. There's no contact with the Russians. And, of course, the story came out last night that, indeed, there was a meeting, two different meetings between uh, Senator then-Senator Sessions, who was uh, stumping for Donald Trump, and the Russian ambassador. So uh, that would be uh, the Russians, right? So clearly, clearly lied in the Senate. This is serious. This is perjury. This is testifying under oath, testifying under oath to the Senate and committing perjury. Jeff Sessions, could you tell us how serious it is when someone who's in a position of trust in the federal government commits perjury to the Senate? Uh, I am concerned about uh, a president under oath uh, being alleged to have committed perjury. I hope that he can rebut that and prove that did not happen. I hope he can show he did not commit obstruction of justice and that he can complete his term. But there are serious allegations that that occurred. 
And in America, in the Supreme Court, and the American people believe no one is above the law. Of course, that was audio from about two decades ago when Senator Jeff Sessions was so concerned about then-President Bill Clinton perjuring himself before the Senate in discussions of the Monica Lewinsky affair. And that was just a president getting a blowjob from an American, somebody that could not uh, uh, could not blackmail him for that, could not extort anything. We are talking about Russians here that may have uh, damaging, damning evidence and uh, videotape and connections and collusions with the president of the United States. So if if perjury was a big deal for a Oval Office blowjob, then perjury has got to be a much bigger deal when we're talking about Russian interference in our electoral system. And the ability of the Republicans to try to brush this away, try to sweep it under the rug, is stunning to me at this time. Let me give you some more audio just to remind you how serious Republicans think it is. Now, Jeff Sessions came out this afternoon and had a press conference just about a couple of hours ago where he tried to deny that he did anything wrong in his answer with uh, Senator Franken. Uh, this is what he had to say. Let me be clear. I never had meetings with Russian operatives or Russian intermediaries about the Trump campaign. Never had meetings about Ru- with Russian intermediary- intermediaries or uh, Russian uh, about the about the Trump campaign, right? So there's a lot of wiggle room there. Is the ambassador an intermediary? Is there discussions about something other than the Trump campaign? What he's talking about here? Why is it that you said, Senator Sessions, at Attorney General Sessions? Why did you say at the time to Al Franken that you had no knowledge of anybody in the campaign, including yourself, being involved? And that's what got my attention. As he noticed it, noted it was uh, the first. It's just breaking news, and it got my attention, and that is the question I responded to. Let's go back. Listen to the question yourself and see if that makes any sense. And if there is any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what will you do? So keep in mind, this isn't even saying that this the question from Senator Franken wasn't even about whether or not Sessions had had any contact with the campaign with the uh, Russians. He was saying if they find anybody in the Trump campaign who had contact with the Russians, an open-ended question, what would you do? It was Sessions who volunteered that he was a surrogate, and it was Sessions who volunteered that he had no idea that anybody, including himself, had had any involvement with the Russians. But he continues to try to weasel out of it. This is more from his press conference earlier today. I did not respond by referring to the two meetings, one very brief after a speech, and one with two of my senior staffers, professional staffers, uh, with the Russian ambassador in Washington. My reply to the question of Senator Franken was honest and correct as I understood it at the time. See, this is Senator Sessions, Attorney General Sessions, trying to set up a no mens rea sort of defense, trying to set up that he didn't intend to lie. He thought that what he was saying was true at the time. Come on now, Senator Sessions. Come on now, Attorney General Sessions. We're not buying that one bit. And 
He tried to downplay the, the reporters there at the press conference were allowed to ask a couple of questions. He tried to downplay his meeting with the Russian ambassador, saying that they weren't really talking about anything serious. But I do remember saying I had gone to Russia with a church group in 1991, and he said he was not a believer himself, but he was glad to have church people come there. Oh, oh, you, you didn't talk about anything serious. We shouldn't make anything out of you going and talking to the Russian ambassador at the same time that the Russians are hacking into the DNC, hacking into the, the uh, Democratic Party, John Podesta, that 17 out of 17 of our intelligence agencies say the Russians were tampering with our election or trying to. The fact that you then met with the Russian ambassador during the election while this was going on, we shouldn't make anything of that because you were just talking about, you know, just chit-chat, just normal stuff, you know, that you uh, went to Russia once uh, as a lad when you were part of a church group, right? Just small talk. There was nothing serious going on there. Well, folks, I, I seem to recall a similar situation. If you remember during the election, we also had a situation where uh, the uh, current attorney general at the time, who was Loretta Lynch, was uh, in Phoenix, in Phoenix, Arizona. She was uh, getting ready to leave on her plane. And do you remember when uh, Bill Clinton showed up? Bill Clinton showed up on the uh, tarmac there and uh, requested a special meeting with, uh, with Attorney General Lynch at the same time that the Department of Justice was investigating whether or not uh, uh, there was some impropriety there in Hillary Clinton's email servers. This is a letter that was signed on to by Senator Sessions. It was also uh, signed on to by Rudy Giuliani and a bunch of others. But Sessions signed on to this. Let me just read from this. It says, Attorney General Lynch and former President Clinton met on the Phoenix, Arizona tarmac days before Secretary Clinton was to be interviewed by the FBI for possible criminal activity. It has been reported that her staff ordered witnesses not to take pictures and no one was present during their 39-minute conversation. General Lynch never recused herself from decisions on the Clinton investigation after her self-admitted mistake, as it has also been reported that she continues to deny the FBI the authority to convene a grand jury, which is necessary for any meaningful investigation. Why should any spouse of a secretary of state be permitted ever to receive one cent from a foreign entity, blah, 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 and continues on that she should uh, recuse herself, um, that General Lynch continues to ex exert control of a matter that she should have assigned to another official. And they were very, very upset about that. And they closed by saying, it is time to do what should have been done long ago, appoint a special prosecutor. Appoint a special prosecutor to deal with the case of Loretta Lynch, the attorney general at the time, meeting with President Clinton. Now, you may recall that Attorney General Lynch defended herself in that case by saying, well, we talked about the grandkids. We talked about grandkids, and we just had some chit-chat, and there was no big deal. And the Republicans were furious. The Republicans didn't believe that. For a second. And so why now does Gen uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions think he can get away with this excuse that was the same excuse Loretta Lynch tried to give that, oh, yeah, it looks it looks bad. 
But no, there's nothing going on here. There's nothing you need to worry about. Everything's okay. This is all on the up and up. As it was, Loretta Lynch, in an interview with Jake Tapper on CNN, came to express regret for that particular meeting. So in retrospect... I'm sorry, Mr. President, it'd be inappropriate for us to talk. You wish you'd said that? Well, I, I do regret sitting down and, and having a conversation with him because it did give people concern. Yeah. And my great, as I said, my greatest concern has always been making sure that people understand that the Department of Justice works in a way that's independent and looks at everybody equally. So there you go. A way that's independent and looks at everybody equally. It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. All right, that sound means that it's 20 after. It's 4.20 in the mountain time zone. Happy 4.20 to our friends in Denver, Colorado, and all throughout the Rocky Mountains. We're going to take a break, and we'll have more on this Trump-Russia Sessions-Spicer controversy in hour two. Stay tuned. We're right back after this. Beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. THC levels in marijuana snacks are so high they could kill children and pets. Okay, maybe you're high too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they aim you say that hey this is great man a public service message from the russ belleville show promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts science reason compassion evidence truth and logic on our side It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Well, while the United States seems to be in the throes of a reboot of the Just Say No 1980s, the rest of the world is moving on without us. Uh, Numerous countries across the globe are adopting recreational and medical marijuana policies. We want to take a a short look at that. Uh, In our uh, cannabis headline news, we already pointed out how the Danish government is moving forward on a four-year pilot plan for medical cannabis, and a new poll shows that 80% of Danes support this pilot plan. They support the idea of medical marijuana. And we also talked about the country of Peru, which is moving forward on the possible legalization of medical cannabis. Here are some other countries that are taking the lead now 
uh, as the United States is currently kind of in limbo, waiting to see what happens from the Trump administration. From the nation of Israel, uh, they legalized medical marijuana back in 1992, and they are currently the global leader in medical cannabis research. Their Ministry of Health is treating tens of thousands of patients. They recently took steps to decriminalize recreational marijuana, and soon minor possession will likely just result in fines rather than a criminal record. Our neighbor to the north, Canada, has a federal medical cannabis program. They've been running it for more than a decade. And in 2016, the federal courts upheld a patient's right to grow cannabis at home, saying that the federal proposal to uh, require all cannabis to be purchased through the mail by federal producers was, quote, not in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. Of course, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau campaigned on the legalization of marijuana, but uh, some critics are complaining that he is dragging his feet on that. Uh, he says within the next 24 months, there should be legalization happening. The nation of Uruguay, of course, has legalized commercial adult marijuana uh, in 2013, uh, trying to fight organized crime. And to do so, they made sure that the price of government weed in Uruguay is cheap as hell. It's a dollar a gram in Uruguay. Now, you do have to consider, though, the nation of Uruguay is only growing three strains, and these three strains have been particularly genetically identified as the legal Uruguayan strains. So they did that in order to prevent uh, Paraguayan growers and and, uh, uh, underground growers from flooding the market uh, with other cannabis with cannabis that's not grown and approved by Uruguay. So the type of cannabis you have can make a huge difference. If you've got something other than those three approved strains, you could be in big trouble. In Australia, uh, they have legalized uh, recreational marijuana. They're working on details on how that is going to work. The Australian Health Minister Greg Hunt announced that imported medical marijuana will be uh, made available to patients within weeks. Uh, and again, I don't think, I think that's a typo in the story. I don't think Australia is legalized recreational. I think this is a legalization of medical cannabis. We reported yesterday on the state of Victoria in, uh, in Australia receiving imports of Canadian cannabidiol to treat its patients. So I do believe that the story is about, uh, medical. And of course, in the Netherlands, uh, people have known that to be a, uh, a marijuana tolerant nation for a long time, but people have misunderstood thinking that marijuana was completely legal in Holland. And that's not true. The uh, Dutch government merely tolerates recreational cannabis consumption in coffee shops. So it's just a tolerance proposal. It's still technically illegal. And there is no legal way for people to cultivate and sell cannabis to those businesses. So this has always been the Dutch paradox that it's legal to go into a coffee shop and smoke the stuff, but the people who want to grow it and sell it to those shops are committing federal crimes when they do so. But that could be changing soon. This month, Dutch lawmakers voted to permit cultivation. Looks like there's a good chance that we'll finally get past this Dutch paradox and have full legalization in the Netherlands. And in Mexico... Uh, they are moving forward to legalize medical marijuana and decriminalize adult use. President Enrique Peña Nieto spoke about uh, limiting prohibition during a United Nations drug summit. But 
The problem in Mexico is there's not a whole lot of public support for legalization. Uh, it's up to 37%. That's not very good when we're talking about trying to pass legalization. And what you'll find in Mexico, Latin America, Central America, and South America is a very religious population, uh, a poor population usually, very Catholic-oriented, that still believe a lot of the war on drugs mantras, a lot of the ideas that drugs are a moral issue. Speaking of countries that find drugs to be an extreme moral issue, here are some you may not want to visit if you're a regular cannabis consumer. In Japan, possession for recreational use is illegal. You can get up to five years prison for that. In Malaysia, possession of seven ounces or more is punishable by death. You can get the death penalty in Malaysia. In Nigeria, possession is illegal. You can get up to 12 years in prison for personal use and up to life in prison for trafficking. In Saudi Arabia, possession for recreational use is illegal and punishable by six months or more in jail. And possession for sale can result in execution. You can get the death penalty in Saudi Arabia for selling a bag of weed. And in the United Arab Emirates, possession is illegal and the punishment for that can be up to four years in prison. That's a look at the countries throughout the world that are moving forward or backward on marijuana policies. When we come back, we'll be speaking to our guest from Law Enforcement Action Partnership, Patrick Nightingale. And we're going to be talking about the rise or the reboot of the private prison industry. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Russ Bell Show on RadicalRust.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Or when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Okay, maybe you're high too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Yeah, baby! <laughs> A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalize drugs. Welcome back, everybody. 31 after the hour. And uh, again, we haven't updated the introduction yet, so I want to remind you that the group LEAP 
that used to be Law Enforcement Against Prohibition is now called Law Enforcement Action Partnership. And that doesn't mean they're abandoning the fight against the war on drugs. They're just expanding it. They're expanding their mission to include other aspects of uh, police reform, of criminal justice reform. And so we're going to be expanding this segment as well to talk about other aspects of our criminal justice system. And joining us to discuss one of these aspects, we've got Patrick Nightingale from Pennsylvania joining us. Patrick, welcome to the show. Why, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for having us on. You know, uh, as we embrace our new mission as uh, law enforcement uh, uh, action uh and moving forward with addressing some of our additional issues. Yes, and one of the issues that has been uh, of concern to me and, and many cannabis consumers is the use and and the rise of private prisons in America. The idea that we would incarcerate people and a company would make profit off of that. Of course, that profit motive then leading to states wanting to make sure people get arrested. And that, of course, provides incentive to keep punitive marijuana laws. So give our listeners a little bit of background on the rise of private prisons and, and what's happening now in that uh, in that uh, arena. You know, obviously, uh, there are, you know, uh, financial pressures, uh, budget pressures on states when it comes to uh, incarceration, when it comes to criminal uh, justice, when it comes to dealing with incarceration of, of prisoners. And one of the options that you know arose during uh, the war on drugs, during the time of mandatory uh, sentences, when we literally saw a skyrocketing of our prison population, was that private entities could take this burden off of government. It's something that we have seen time and time again, you know, with varying degrees of effect. Sometimes uh, government is uh, appropriate for running a a program. Sometimes it's not. So privatization, you know, worked its way into the criminal justice reform arena and said, listen, we can help you save money. We can run prisons at a a much more efficient uh, uh, rate than you are doing. We don't have to have prison unions. We don't have to have correction officers and this and that and the other thing. We can do it cheaply. And that was very, very attractive. And it resulted in, you know, organizations such as the uh, uh, Corrections Corporation of America, which is now rebranded as Core Civic, but allowing them to come forward and say, we can do this cheaper and getting contracts with both states and with the uh, federal government to literally house um, either uh, pre-trial detainees or in some respects, you know, people who have been sentenced. But the issue is that Core Civic, what had been Corrections uh, Corporation of America, it's a uh, publicly traded organization. There are shareholders who have uh, a profit stake in making sure that these corporations are successful. And in anticipation of, uh, of this interview, I was doing a little bit of research, and I saw that one you know, hedge fund trader made $40 million mm. on the election once uh, uh, President Trump was elected because uh, the stock market said they're going to you know, turn their back on the Obama reforms and the Obama restrictions on private prisons. And you know, suddenly it became much more profitable to put Americans in cages. And that is, you know, what is at the core of our concern about this is that there is literally a profit motive to ensure that there is a certain prison population. That is the antithesis of liberty, and it's certainly the antithesis of innocent until proven guilty. 
Absolutely. What are some of the uh, uh, the consequences of these private prisons? I mean, they they said they could run them cheaper, but uh, they haven't been running them better. I understand. Yeah, you know, allow me to share a little bit of experience from my profession. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I do uh, federal criminal work. Uh, most federal detainees in my area uh, in Pittsburgh, the Western District of Pennsylvania, are housed at a private prison in Youngstown. It's called the uh, uh, Northeastern Ohio Correctional Center. And unfortunately, what that results in is a concentration of individuals who are facing the exact same types of charges, the ability of uh, these individuals to, you know, work very hard to subvert uh, our ability to effectively represent them. And, you know, literally the sharing of what should be otherwise confidential information that, you know, greatly inhibits my ability to represent uh, my clients. Literally, you have a concentration of federal prisoners uh, in a situation that makes it very, very difficult for criminal defense attorneys to effectively represent them. We have been complaining about it, you know, literally for years, but it's cheaper. It's easier. Uh, the marshal service doesn't have the ability to house these uh, detainees in other uh, local uh, jails and uh, correctional facilities. And we're stuck with this level of, of you know, de facto concentration. Uh, one of my bigger concerns moving forward is what is the role that private prisons are going to be in an expanded uh, effort of immigration prosecution and uh, drug prosecution? You know, the attorney general has said that he intends to uh, crack down on uh, the federal marijuana laws. Uh, we have seen uh, some reform recently in terms of uh, federal mandatories. But if this administration and this attorney general wants to return to maximum prosecution of the war on drugs, maximum prosecution of the war on cannabis, and you know, using every mandatory and every sentencing advantage that the federal government has at its disposal, it's going to need more bed space. So literally, you know, let's get, uh, let's get private prisons back in the mix and let's get ready to put more people in them. Mm. I think that's what this administration is going to do. Yeah, that that's uh, my take on this as well. And uh, do you have any figures on uh, the results of these private prisons on the prison population themselves as far as recidivism, abuse, uh, medical treatment, or or any other controversies that might be involved in the private prison industry? Well, we've got about 10% of state prisoners uh, that are being uh, housed in the, uh, the private prison industry and about 20% of federal prisoners. And one of my biggest concerns is that you know, individuals in these entities are going to be engaging in, for lack of a better term, prison labor, slave labor. The first time I encountered this uh, concept when I was a young prosecutor, I thought to myself, oh, that's great. It gives prisoners something to do. It's better than just locking them in, them, uh, in their cells all day long. But the reality is, you know, what are we going to be experiencing with a private prison industry? Because you're still going to have this mass of prisoners who need something to do. And, you know, I've seen, you know, some very uh, concerned posts uh, and, and comments that say, wait a minute, you know, we're going to crack down on illegal immigration and then arrest all these illegal immigrants putting them into the private prison industry and then exploit them for the same level of labor that they were doing uh, before they be, uh, became federal uh, detainees or federal prisoners. And that temptation, even if uh, that might be a gloom and doom scenario, is something that is realistic. Uh, it's my concern that the, 
private prison industry will be uh, pressured to maximize profits, and part of that will be exploiting prison labor. Uh, I just don't uh, uh, believe that it is something that a society that prides itself on liberty and freedom should ever, ever be flirting with. But now it is not only an option, but it's uh, it's derogatory. It's something that is routinely utilized by uh, the United States Marshal Service and now, once again, by the Bureau of Prisons. What are some of the strategies our side can use to fight back against private prisons? I mean, it seems like there's not really a constitutional issue, although I think there there ought to be somehow. But uh, what are some of the strategies? Some of the strategies is simply criminal justice reform. We need to incarcerate fewer Americans, and we can accomplish that first and foremost by readdressing uh, mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug offenders. That, you know, if you look at the rates of uh, federal incarceration over the pa- uh, past 30 to 40 years, it has really skyrocketed when it comes to mandatory minimums and in large part mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug offenders. We need to ensure that we continue to press this message that these types of mandatory sentences are inappropriate. We need to uh, ensure that uh, Our legislators understand that the the role of the judge and the role of the appellate system is critical. And you simply cannot strip this away and give it to a uh, prosecutor whose sole interest may be in closing the case and have these mandatory minimum sentences continue. It's my concern that that is something that this current administration is going to potentially re-embrace with its uh, uh, law and justice uh, you know, type of attitude that it uh, has ex- expressed time and time again. And while I, I believe that support for law enforcement and, and police uh, is critical and, and important uh, in our society, that doesn't mean doubling down on what we see as failed policies such as mandatory minimum incarceration, which has done absolutely nothing to address uh, uh, the rates of uh, drug use. So if it's not doing anything why continue the policy and i'm concerned that we are doubling down on that right now yeah it seems to be that way at the federal level the uh the sessions uh department of justice is already looking at uh uh, rolling back uh, or or obama era uh, guidelines on the use of of mandatory minimums i believe i believe it was uh jeff sessions who lamented the justice department not charging people and and writing down the weight of their drug charge so they could avoid mandatory minimums so so if the feds look like they're going to go back to the future, so to speak, back to the 80s on this kind of stuff. Is the battle then best held at the state level at this point? You know, there's a difference between state and federal uh, prosecution. You know, if your offense conducts warrants federal prosecution, there's nothing that we at the state level can do to prevent that uh, from, from going up to the feds, so to speak. So I think it's necessarily two tiered. Number one, work on on criminal justice reform on the local level. Continue to work on eliminating mandatory minimums on the state level simply because that makes sense and that keeps fewer people out of the federal uh, or out of the um, uh, out of the state system. On the federal level, we need to engage our uh, federal representatives and our senators and to push back 
uh, not just a little bit, but to push back significantly, because it's my concern that this administration is going to simply outsource this to Jeff Sessions and say, hey, Jeff, do whatever the hell you want to do with it. Mm. And the next thing you know, Sessions is going to repeal any of the uh, Holder administration's or the Lynch administration's uh, policies on when to charge uh, mandatory minimums, when to double those mandatory minimums with what's called Rule 851, which is notice of a prior uh, uh, criminal conviction. You know, when to bring in what you know we call the low-hanging fruit, people who are otherwise, you know, the the absolute least on the uh, uh, in the conspiracy, the mule who's caught delivering the narcotics or whatever. Uh, there are many ways which uh, this administration can uh, very easily roll back uh, any of those criminal justice reforms. And now us federal practitioners are going back to telling our clients they're looking at a 20-year mandatory simply because when they were 18, they hustled the, you know, a small amount of weed or a small amount of cocaine and picked up a felony possession for, uh, with intent charge. So, wow. you know, we've got to address this on both state and federal levels, but – on the federal level right now, we potentially have our back against the wall. Everybody's against us. Yeah, well, the good news may be that uh, Attorney General Sessions might find himself a little too busy to deal with us, uh, given these new charges of perjury that uh, might be surfacing in his uh, his confirmation hearings. But uh, that means that we might get somebody else in his place, maybe a Chris Christie. Who knows what might happen, but we're just going to have to remain vigilant. Uh, one quick question before we let you go. Uh, people from Leap have been joining my show for years and years and years now, talking about the mission as law enforcement against prohibition. Some of my listeners are concerned that with the rebrand of Law Enforcement Action Partnership, there will be a lack of focus or a loss of focus on the issue of drug prohibition. Could you address that concern? Oh, absolutely. There will be no lack of focus or a reduction of focus on drug policy reform. It's just that we've found that our ability to communicate that message is so much larger. You know, think about civil asset uh, forfeiture for one thing. You know, that goes hand in hand with our uh, approach to drug reform. And I think that it uh, is something where our mission needs to be able to expand to address these uh, these issues. Mandatory minimum sentences, criminal justice reform. It's not that we're moving away from our mission of drug policy reform, but we're embracing all aspects of drug policy reform to make sure that we have the ability to speak with a consistent and coherent voice on all of these issues. So you can reassure your listeners that we're not moving away from that mission. We are embracing that mission and expanding that mission. Yeah, it seems to me it addresses all of the things that happen in the war on drugs, from the stop and frisk that begins the encounter to the mandatory minimum sentence that ends the encounter and the private prison where the person gets stashed and all of that. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and so are we, and thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to continue to reach out to your audience. I really appreciate that. The website is still leap.cc, L-E-A-P dot C-C, but now it's Law Enforcement Action Partnership, and they're bringing on many, many more speakers. So if you want someone to come talk about criminal justice reforms, including ending the war on drugs in your local area for your event, Contact them at leap.cc. Patrick Nightingale, thank you so much for the work you do helping uh, federally uh, uh, accused uh, suspects and uh, continue the good work on the private prison issue. All right. Thank you very much, Russ. Have a great evening. All right. When we come back, we'll have time for our radical rant, taking a look at MPP's Rob Campia's comments 
about the Sessions comments and the Spicer comments when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Cool. <laughs> A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Today in the rant, I want to talk about some comments from the founder and executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project, Rob Campia, who yesterday penned an article in the Huffington Post entitled, White House Issued a Marijuana Civics Lesson, Not a Marijuana Policy. And he is referring to the comments from uh, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer back on February 23rd that began uh, this worry from many of us in the marijuana media. This is his original comments. You said you will see greater enforcement of it? I, I would refer you to the Department of Justice. No, no, I, I know, I know what I, I, I think, and that's what I said. But, but I think the Department of Justice is the lead on that. Uh, it is something that you should follow up with them, but I believe that they are they are going to continue to enforce the laws and the books with respect to uh, recreational marijuana. So that was Sean Spicer saying that there was going to be a clear difference between recreational and uh, medical marijuana and that there would be greater enforcement of the law. And I have been talking about this for the past few weeks, past couple of weeks, and noting how it seems to me that Everybody in the marijuana movement who's on the industry side, whose jobs rely on making sure big money donors keep kicking money down to get businesses formed, to get laws uh, enacted, that the people who are on that side of this issue are all saying, hey, don't panic. Everything's okay. They haven't said they're going to do anything yet. They said states' rights. They said they'd they'd respect states' rights. It's all going to be okay, which I believe is to uh, assuage the fears of the donors and to keep them from closing their wallets. On the other hand, those of us who are on the reform side, those of us on the patient side, the medical side, those of us who are dealing with the people who get charged with the marijuana crimes, our hair's on fire. We're freaking out because we've heard this story before. We lived through Nixon and the tough-on-crime era. We lived through Reagan and the just-say-no era. We know that when these people talk disparagingly about marijuana, they mean it. And they mean to do something about that. 
But according to Campia, he says, quote, he did not articulate any new policy positions for the administration, which was good because Donald Trump entered the White House with the best position on marijuana policy of any incoming president in modern history. Most notably, he has repeatedly said that states should be able to establish their own marijuana policies without contradiction. He has also expressed support for legal access to medical marijuana, which Spicer mentioned. This is that same head in the sand ostrich position that says, oh, don't worry, Trump said states' rights, it's all cool. Neglecting to note that states' rights could also mean a state's right not to have legal marijuana pouring across its border from another state. A story coming out of Indiana today, WAVE News 3 in Indiana, headline, Large Southern Indiana Marijuana Bust Leads Officers to California, Clarksville, Indiana. A drug operation worth more than $6 million is leading investigators to California for the largest marijuana bust in the town of Clarksville's history. They have four uh, folks that they busted for this. The marijuana seized 2,600 pounds. And what they found, quote, It was the packaging of the marijuana that caught officers' attention. The investigation was then turned over to the narcotics unit. Police later learned the pot was grown and wrapped in California. Police say the alleged California dealers fly themselves, uh, uh, Indiana dealers fly to California and stay overnight in at least 16 hotels. They uh, pick up the drugs and deliver them to local dealers, etc., etc. So the administration has made numerous comments about the uh about the coal memo and how it could be used to identify whether or not people are people should be prosecuted underneath under our controlled substances laws and they have uh they have pointed out that the coal memo hasn't been enforced that's their point is that we look at this coal memo and uh people uh the state that's great uh, conditions that have been set up here, don't let it get to kids, don't let it go across state borders, etc. But nobody's been auditing that. And then they see a case like this, this Indiana case, 2,600 pounds of California marijuana wrapped in commercial packaging. And that's going to be all the excuse they need to say, aha, uh-huh, see, coal memo violation, time to raid somebody. Time to seize their assets. Time to start slapping some cuffs on. Now, people can have their opinions, and Campia can have his opinion about whether or not they're serious about this. But keep in mind, people are making financial decisions based on the opinions of the leaders in the marijuana movement. People are deciding whether or not to quit their jobs, leave their homes, move to other states, establish new businesses, invest their life savings in these operations. And I think it is just a disservice to not give people the full truth with the benefit of experience in context and let them know this is the riskiest time in the past 10 years to be betting on the growth of the marijuana movement. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying be honest about the risk here. Be honest about what people like Donald Trump think of marijuana legalization, what Spicer, what Sessions think about legalization. Because since February 23rd, We've heard a whole lot more comments. And I'm sure Rob Campy has heard these comments too since February 23rd because he wrote this article on March 1st. Here's some of the things Donald Trump thinks 
about marijuana legalization. He said this in his uh, joint address to Congress just a couple days ago. We've defended the borders of other nations while leaving our own borders wide open for anyone to cross and for drugs to pour in at a now unprecedented rate. Our terrible drug epidemic will slow down and ultimately stop. I have further ordered the Departments of Homeland Security and Justice, along with the Department of State and the Director of National Intelligence, to coordinate an aggressive strategy to dismantle the criminal cartels that have spread all across our nation. We will stop the drugs from pouring into our country and poisoning our youth, and we will expand treatment for those who have become so badly addicted. So when you hear comments like that, the apologists will say, ah, see, he's talking about Mexican cartels. He's talking about drugs pouring over our border. He's not talking about state legal marijuana because he states rights. But folks, every single one of the state legal operations that's going on right now is under the definition of the Controlled Substances Act and RICO, a cartel, a drug trafficking organization. So I think people are hearing a lot of what they want to hear. And until they hear a, yes, we're absolutely going to bust recreational marijuana shops or recreational marijuana grows, until they hear that, they're going to keep imagining that they're not hearing anything bad about marijuana legalization from Donald Trump. And the crime and the gangs and the drugs, this American carnage stops right now. This administration is packed with drug warriors, people who believe things like the gateway theory, for God's sake. They go on to more serious drugs, which tends to happen. You can deny it if you want to, but it tends to happen. Uh, There'll be even greater causes. They believe that the marijuana today is super powerful. And I think the drugs today are more powerful and more addictive. They think people get addicted to marijuana. Lady Gaga said she's addicted to it and is not harmless. They think that it causes schizophrenia. Marijuana users have abnormal brain structure and poor memory, and that chronic marijuana use may lead to brain changes resembling schizophrenia. And they will flat out deny the science that is right in front of their face as to the benefits of marijuana. Marijuana is a cure for opiate abuse. Give me a break. I mean, you know, this is the kind of argument that has been made out there. It's just a, almost a desperate attempt to uh, defend uh, the harmlessness of marijuana or even its benefit. So I am not at all in the same camp as MPP's Rob Campia, who also throws some shade at normal in his uh, in his article, saying, quote, I was surprised to see that allies within the marijuana policy reform movement were also contriving a fight where none exists. According to a hyperbolic statement from one allied organization, quote, Spicer declared war on much of the cannabis community yesterday when he announced the Trump administration intends to engage in the greater enforcement of federal anti-marijuana laws, end quote. Throwing shade at normal. Hmm. Well, I got a lot of other things I could say about that, but we're out of time for our podcast. Live listeners, stay tuned here on RadicalRust.com. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show.
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're small. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're small. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it.